Welcome to another edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard. I'm Kent Garrett. There were 18 of us in the Harvard College class of 1963. In 1959, we were the largest number of blacks ever admitted to Harvard. This podcast is about being black in America for over 80 years. In Gaza, we continue to watch a genocide in real time. As of yesterday, 10,000 Palestinians were killed. Most of them were women and children. I'm joined by 15 of my Harvard College classmates. I'm at the point now where I think things are really, for me, quite, well, simple in the sense that I don't think it's, uh, the issues are that complicated. I I think the Israelis are racist and uh, it's a racist society, it's an apartheid society, and that's, you know, that that to me makes it very, very simple. <laughs> I was very, I was very uptight that uh, that uh, Obama didn't come out and say uh, we're going to have a ceasefire. I mean, that really, uh, yeah. And yeah, I heard that. This I, I listened to that this morning. Your twelve minute. Yeah. Piece and uh, can people yeah, see it? it was striking it, it was very well framed yeah it's like one thing is a lot of things are complicated one thing is simple and he didn't say it yeah i don't know if you can see this uh our classmate joan strasser sent this because a friend of hers in israel sent it uh-huh. it's a meeting of 700 jewish and arab uh activists right now in Haifa mm-hmm. yesterday, 700 people um talking about peace, talking about uh talking about the situation. And what you wonder is why wouldn't such a gathering if you see it, it's loads of people. Yeah. Tons, yeah. Why yeah. why wouldn't such a gathering be showed us here in the United States and around the world of this kind of activity and movement, because just to cast it as uh, you know, a group of racists against a group of victims, you know, I, it doesn't really describe the situation uh, accurately or even helpfully. I don't think myself. The uh, why do you think it doesn't? Why? Because why? Well, why? Why aren't they showing it? You mean? No, no. Why do you think it doesn't? Oh, because because this sort of thing is going on, and because any solu- any solution or advance in a situation after a ceasefire is going to have to have people talking with each other. So I think the I think um, a discourse centered on people getting together and talking about how they will have to get along is the right way to go because it's the only hopeful, positive direction. I think that casting it. The way some are casting it is, it's not uh, either accurate or helpful. And because uh, I, I mean, I'm asking, why wouldn't we be showed a meeting of 700 activists, uh, Jewish and Arabs, in Israel right now? I'm asking, why wouldn't we be being shown this? What I'm trying to ask everybody is that it seems to me. It's akin to what we went through in the civil rights movement. I mean, in terms of the 
bad guys and that sort of thing. I mean, do you disagree with that, John Woodford? Well, well I mean, I don't know what you, what is akin to it. I mean, the whole the, the situation we're in, the bad guys, the good guys, the uh, you know what what's happening, the apartheid, the uh, occupation. Don't you think? Well, well, I think it's a lot. He Tanahisi Coates doesn't want to say the word complicated, but it is complicated. For example. They're talking about the solidarity. Well, in our country, just remember that really most people in our country have participated and supported the civil rights struggle ever, ever since its inception. And so um, to deny, ignore, or have a, a depiction of a people as if they are, uh, you know, racist or enemies or or uh, um, prone to attack people of color or whatever. You know, this is really not true. And it's, uh, I think it's a, a terrible distortion. When I, when I was working for Muhammad Speaks, I came in contact with a lot of the Arab American groups. There was the American American, Arab American University graduates formed in the 70s. And one of the things they used to meet, because I helped them with some public relations there, they were, uh, educated people and Palestinians mainly, but they were kind of, uh, some of them were were berating the others because they said that the Arab community, including Palestinians, wasn't supporting the civil rights struggle in the United States to any extent, meaningful extent whatsoever. There were a few people here and there supporting, but they were sort of saying uh, among themselves that they were they were not exceptional supporters or significant supporters of the civil rights movement. This is what they were talking about back then. So during the same time that people like, you know, Schwerner and Goodman and others were getting, uh, were giving their lives in the civil rights struggle. So I think this whole, you know, I think we need to be try to look at as many things as possible all the time and try to come up with approaches that don't, um, you know, don't do wrong. That don't oversimplify and don't do wrong to entire groups of people, and um, have a simplistic like, oh, those are the you know those are the goodies and those are the baddies. We need to have a way of talking about it. The ultra nationalists of both sides really are among the most dangerous. The ultra nationalist Arabs and the ultra nationalist Jews in Israel and elsewhere. Um, I think we have to look at that kind of thinking, the, this this sort of nationalist thinking. Ron, uh, yeah, um, I think there there are two things. It's interesting you mentioned Bull Connor because I've been thinking about him in the last days, and I was thinking it's as if Bull Connor were in charge of the Israeli response. But in truth, it's like there are Bull Connors on both sides, if we can be pretty simple about it, because I was reading recently that there are people in Humas who say, hey, this is great, what's happened. People were not paying enough attention to the Palestinian, you know, uh, con to the conflict, and now they are. Um, and there, there's nobody, you know, they're not saying, okay, we're ready to do something peaceful. So I think it's both sides, the leadership of both sides. I'm not talking about, you know, the Palestinians and the rubble 
filled streets or the Israelis, you know, I'm talking only about the leadership. I mean, they're at loggerheads and um, nothing is going to work long term now. And so it just seems like the obvious thing is to fight like hell for a, you know, that's a bad metaphor, but, but struggle for a ceasefire. Because as John's saying, I'm reinforcing what John is saying totally. It's like, you're not going to have hostage exchanges you know, while this is going on. They're going to be killing, what is it, one, you know, one Gazan child every 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, it's really out of control. And the people who are running the show are making it more out of control on, on both sides. And, you know, uh, so it doesn't even seem, let's not even assign blame. That's a long-term thing. Blame in this case is only useful if it leads to solutions. So, as Obama wasn't saying in Kent, what you put into that twelve-minute edition, you know, cease fire. You know, there have been so many things. Avaz, you know, I signed a petition for cease fire this morning. Whatever that does, um, but it just seems like the only way to go. Happened to see on PBS last night a pretty good summary of the history, the attempt to arrive at a two-state solution, which was promoted by, uh, it was talking mainly about what Clinton tried to do with the with the leaders. And as, the, as it appeared, the two-state solution was emerging. <clears throat> Violent people on both sides started reacting against that. And uh, Palestinian suicide bombers, and on the Israeli side, uh, protesters and and building settlements. And then when when uh, uh, Netanyahu came in, that really brought an end to the process. I mean, he was dead set against it, and he made he made a show of negotiating with Arafat, but it was only a show. And uh, of course, the uh, the uh, the extremists on both sides have destroyed the peace process that was actually going forward back when Clinton was president. When George H., when George Bush became president, he had no interest in that at all. And he promoted the war in terror, which was complete antithesis. And uh, so it just has deteriorated because of the extremists on both sides. And uh, how do you deal with that? I don't know. Ceasefire is the only solution, but who says he won't agree to a ceasefire because that'll give Hamas a victory. Yeah, but all the kids are still dying. I mean, the kids are still dying. Yeah. 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 Hey, could I? Could I? Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, half a century of law practice, mostly litigation. Uh, a lot of it complex federal litigation has taught me a couple of things. One of them is this: uh, if you get really close to your trial date and you think you've got a deal in hand, but you you don't have it fully fleshed out. You don't really have it completely done. Uh, But you go to the judge and say, hey, we're really close, and you get a lot of contact in that last week or 10 days from the staff of the court, particularly federal courts, asking how you're doing because they're always trying to juggle our schedule and figure out what they can plug in that is really important if they suddenly get back the week that they had assigned to you 
uh, or two weeks or whatever it is. And uh, when you agree, uh, yeah, we're really close. You can go ahead and take us off your calendar. Uh, they always give you a new date. And in a crowded court, that new date is usually about a year or a year and a half out uh, or more. Uh, and then you keep working on trying to put your deal together. And you exchange a lot of texts and a lot of billable hours go back and forth between great big law firms or among several great big law firms. Uh, but you don't get to a deal. And after a while, you realize that no matter what you thought, back when you thought you had uh, all the elements of a settlement, you really did not have it. You, you were deluding yourself. And, and everyone involved was deluding himself uh, with undue optimism. And it seems to me that that's very much what Oslo and the Camp David meeting that Bill Clinton had uh, was. Uh, it was a deal to make a deal. Uh, but then it all, uh, we, we've now got about 30 years of failure to put this two-state solution deal into place. And uh, it seems to me that uh, there's a reality and the reality is facts on the ground. Uh, and some of those facts on the ground are so overwhelming that uh, they just can't be ignored. Uh, the settlements, for example, and I think the settlements are utter bad faith. Uh, a lot of them, the product uh, quite apparently of corruption involving Netanyahu and Putin, uh, by which a very significant number of Russian speaking uh, quite orthodox Jews have come to Israel over the past couple of years uh, and the number of people in settlements on the West Bank has gotten to be 700,000. Uh, and one of the reasons the IDF is so pissed off and its reservists in particular are pissed off is so much of their time and energy has gone into trying to deal with the settlers who have a feeling of entitlement. They've just come to Israel in the last uh, decade, or in many cases, quite a bit less than a decade. Uh, mm -hmm. But they've built houses, and they've built this system of closed roads and fenced off areas so that they're connected to Israel, but not to the West Bank. Uh, but it's 700,000 people. That's For comparison, that's about the same size as Albuquerque. Uh, that's a fact on the ground. That's immutable. Uh, anybody who's talking about a solution that involves uh, those 700,000 people picking up and moving back into, uh, moving off the West Bank and farther west uh, into the most populous part of uh, Israel, uh, Tel Aviv, Haifa, around Jerusalem, uh, that's just not going to happen. That's, uh, that's not realistic. Uh, the other thing that seems to me to be a, a reality that Netanyahu has brought down on himself is that a two-state solution is not a reality. Uh, there isn't going to be a two-state solution. 
and everybody keeps talking about how well the Palestinian authority will be given authority over Gaza and Israel will have some sort of a presence in Gaza to uh, uh, somehow preserve its security. Uh, that all strikes me as uh, as being equally unrealistic to the notion that you're going to undo the settlements. Uh, I, I don't think any of that's going to happen. I think that it is one state. It is already one state. Uh, and, and that state is Israel. Uh, and contained within that state are a couple of bubbling cauldrons of hatred and uh, increasingly high risk. The most important thing it, that seems to me to be achievable in the near term is ceasefire. Right. Uh, I'm also uh, pretty damn disappointed in Biden in having personally gone over there and allowed a photo op with Netanyahu. Uh, sending two aircraft carrier groups seems to me to be about as effective a way of sending a message to Iran that you better not cut Hezbollah loose is any, anything I know uh, to just put those aircraft carriers there, uh, one in the Eastern end of the Med and the other in the Persian Gulf uh, is a, a pretty good way of reminding uh, anybody in Tehran who was tempted to let Hezbollah get going, uh, that, hey, uh, we could wind up with a real price for this. Right. Uh, and uh, so it seems to me, that I'm not sure of much of anything else other than that ceasefire makes sense right now. Right, I agree. Uh, Let me go to Marcy for a so, bit. I put my hand down because... Oh. I think it's really important that everyone have a chance to speak. And I want you to cut me off, Kent, if I go on more than a minute. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, I, to say it's complicated should not be a bad word we're not allowed to say. The world is a complex place and a huge number of factors are at play here. And I think it's really important to identify, as David did, um, sources of good information. And Amy Goodman's Democracy Now! today is another one. Uh, and um, things we think are the truth, facts on the ground, um, but opinions are not worth that much and words compared to actions are not worth very much at all. All the leaders lie and posture and grandstand and what they're doing behind the scenes is what really matters. And the really bad guys on both sides are killing people uh, and letting loose bombs and, and buying weapons and getting them free. Um, and the good guys who met, I'm thrilled to, to hear what John said, the Israelis and Palestinians who met yesterday in Haifa, 
they all risk being killed every day, one way or another. And they're not chit-chatting. They're trying to figure out how we can get in the short term, medium term or long term to peace and letting human beings live their lives with enough food to eat, water to drink, medical care and um, and a home. So you were supposed to stop me, Ken. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Stop, stop. Let me go to Alden then. Uh, I want to go back to something that John said early, and a couple of you have, have um, reiterated, and that is if we have ceasefire, then people will talk. And I'd like to hear. And the killing will stop. And, and, and the, killing... Well, the killing will stop. And, the and people, I, 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 with a, at the risk of being a real jerk, I'm less concerned about the killing now. I want a long term solution. I don't want this thing to be going on five years from now, 10 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now. So if people talk, can they come to a solution? And I, and I guess I'd ask Ezra and Hamp and there, there are other psychologists here. When you get people together who hate each other, can they can they actually come to some kind of solution? You can get the resistance together. That's a better idea. Sorry. Yeah. Ezra, what do you think? Well, I, I sympathize with everybody because this is extremely difficult. And even, even though I think the the um the reagents in the the reagents in the reaction have been identified, there's a lot of history behind. And that's the main problem. And when you say talk to each other, when you talk, but you demean when you talk, that's part of the big problem. So I've been disappointed with Biden. So disappointed that I'm not sure he should run again. I agree. And that yeah. is, And that is because he's misperceived the power that he had and the opportunities. And when he... When, when Blinken came out and said, you know, under any circumstances, we stand with Israel. That was a clear statement that they were not going to analyze seriously the long history lived out by Israel. And it's not, it's not going on only here. The British also are struggling with the same things. And they seem to have, at least the leadership, leadership seemed to have made a clear statement of their alliance with their alliance with Israel. And uh, we just heard about the movement of the ships and so on. It's a symbolic statement that I thought was probably the most insane thing to do because that underlined the idea that the U.S. is allied with Israel regardless of what Israel does or thinks. So what are the Palestinians to do and the Arabs in the other countries? They're being treated as others, as second-class citizens. And that's why as outrageous as the murderous entrance was in the beginning with the wall, was to all of this, Israel is saying in return, look, you showed us as weak. You showed us what you can do, 
And now you have to pay the price. And in psychological terms, it's very interesting. It's really an Old Testament manifestation. It's an Old Testament prophecy. You've done this. The Lord is on our side in any event because you can't possibly be on the side of brown people or black people. And you're going to have to pay the price. And you're going to have to wait until we finish showing you that we are superior to you. It's the classic argument of the colonizers. And 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 who are on the, who are on Israel's side? The major colonizers still, Britain, the U.S., and so on. And I don't know, I don't know where we're going to go, because part of it, part of it, we have to have a conversation that that prohibits people from referring to the past, and that's hard to do psychologically, because we have to keep thinking, you know, I have you 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 got to pay me back for what you did. I'm not letting you forget that. And you told me that I was inferior to you, and I'm going to show you. I am the same as you. And that's what the Palestinians are, are, are trying to say all the time. You remember my, my tirade the last time I was here, and that tirade I apologize for. But it, it comes back, it comes back to the same, the same thing that we've got to get rid of this horrible thinking about each other and, and the way in which we can all be murderous and unforgiving. And the only way to do that is somebody to step forward and say, damn it, let's cut the bullshit. Let's talk. And we must have a ceasefire because that's the only way we can talk. You can't talk with a cease without with, with violence in, in, in the in the room and the representatives of violence. And I think that's why it makes it so very, very Difficult. Last comment before I stop, because the other problem that I've been noticing in the U.S. is that there, there's an institutional language going across the country that supports Israel in this approach. And I'm talking about the academic community. All the, all the statements from universities have come out saying, what they have done to Israel is unacceptable. But there's no reference, as I pointed out in my tirade, to the capacity and the history of the other colonizing nations, the white nations who have done this, exactly the same thing. And that's what makes it so, so crazy. So the statements from the universities are saying, that's, what, that's unacceptable. And as Blinken summarizes it, we must give Israel time to equalize the numbers of deaths and to show that they're still capable of being the leaders in this whole process, supported, of course, by the major white colonists. But I mean, what is the equal number, Ezra? What is the equal number? What number? Well, the equal number is always a psychological number. There is no number you can write down. It's until they feel satisfied. That when are enough they going to feel satisfied? Enough blood has been shed. It's 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 a testimony. It's a it's a it's a baptism in blood that has to be gone through. I mean, it's it's all clear in the Old Testament how this is developed. And for for, for the Abrahamic religions, it's fat, it's fascinating really to watch. And God is on their side, which is the fascinating point of the thing. God is on their side. So, as as they say, I, I give you I give you my blessing. You, 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 when you talk, you can say Ezra agrees. 
that the the murder has to stop. But I don't know how how to wipe the brains clean of the memories, and or wish to really satisfy the debts. We've got to we've got to have the debts paid to us, and we're not going getting out of this unless that's done. Thanks for letting me talk. Yeah. All right, yeah, Dorothy. Uh, well, I want to say that I don't think this is about racism and white colonialism on the part of Israel. On the part of Israel, it's about having been terrified, traumatized, uh, genocide having been su almost successfully committed against Jews in the Holocaust. The Jews live with the terror that they will be eliminated from the face of the earth the way Hitler set out to do by rounding up six million Jews and killing them alive. And what Hamas said they want to do, which is to eliminate Jews and to eliminate Israel. So Israel is driven by terror and they're also doing the wrong thing in Palestine and doing the wrong thing killing. But they, the fact that they're a little out of their minds has to be understood not as you know, we're better than brown and black people, but rather we are the people whose lives have been always in danger. We are alone. And that's why some of their allies are are backing them. And the fact that the Jews were welcome nowhere, not in the US, not in Canada, nowhere when they were fleeing from Germany. And now look what's happening that the, the uh, uh, Palestinians are being welcomed nowhere and not being let into uh, Egypt and Jordan and are being blocked at the border. I mean, I don't know. I know this, what I'm about to say is, is you're all going to say this is crazy and ridiculous. But yesterday I had this idea like, come on, Israel said a million northerners, please move to the south. We're going to go get Hamas. And then maybe the neighboring countries should say, come on, Palestinians, come on in here for uh, six months. We support getting rid of Hamas. And then America will rebuild all your housing and all your community will go back for a two-state solution. Um, but we welcome you uh, so that no, none of you get killed. I mean, the, the, the fact that the, the, I mean, I don't know if it's crazy or not, but the fact that they're being blocked at the border seems to me to be um, bad also, even though I, also want to see a ceasefire. But Dorothy, why do you think it's not racism? I mean, I don't I don't quite agree with you on that. I know. You opened up by saying it was. Uh, because Jews have been the victim of something different. I mean, white people wiped out, tried to wipe out the white the, the white Jews. Jews are white, but they're also the victims of extreme uh, discrimination and, and genocide. And so they have a whole different identity. And it's one reason why Jews have been such good allies to black people in this country, you know, throughout different struggles. Jews identify with the oppressed. Now, what happened, but on the other hand, they're fighting for survival in some paranoid, you know, exaggerated nationalist, whatever. The, I mean, I don't know enough about Israel. I've never been there. Obviously, Netanyahu is a jerk. Um, so, you know, there's this right wing and this left wing is progressive, but I don't think it's about, you know, we're better than the brown people. It's 
hey, our lives are in danger and we have to protect, we have to have a safe place to be and we'll do anything to protect ourselves from the Hamas people who are trying to wipe us off the face of the earth again. I don't think it's about race. It's about survival. Jeff. But there's something else. And that is, what you know, you, you, you figure out why haven't they been able to settle this for all these years? And and it, and I think it, it, we have to remember that there are people who benefit from the conflict. Uh, many of them, you know, economically. And uh, you know, I mean, they're selling arms and they're selling weapons. They're they're selling supposedly, you know, consultation and advice. And a lot of them just uh, politically. I mean, you know, uh, they were getting closer to uh, a, a settlement and a, a reasonable dialogue, and then uh, Rabin gets assassinated by somebody. I mean, you know, pe peace. Danger. We have to. We have to. You know. We we we. If we don't keep this this this, this uh, fighting going on, our group will have will will uh, lose its re reason for existing. Uh, so we we you know we uh, or 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 Netanyahu. You know Netanyahu. Uh, two, you know if uh, if the uh, Palestinian Authority actually has authority, if you let them do something, why you know. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I will lose the backing of, of the people I need to keep myself in power and you know and to keep the keep the uh, the lawsuits uh, away from me you know and he, and, but it, he, it's not just not just Netanyahu it's <laughs> you know uh, and there are many groups and of course there 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 Muslim groups who don't they don't want peace either uh, I mean the way they keep the movement going is by by this Okay, I, I think I think we're all aware of that. I don't think I've said anything uh, especially uh, novel or interesting, but but it's something I w we need to take right. into account. David Allen. Good noontime. Good to be back from all my travels and to see what this has become. Uh, my own experience is that uh, there is movement forward only when there is accurate attention to the, the past, the history that underpins whatever is going on. And my description of the history here is that uh, a group, the Jews, who came close to annihilation by genocide uh, and so needed a place to live, displaced another group, the Palestinians, uh, and guess what? When you take land away from people, uh, there is no easy solution. Uh, and my own experience tells me that until you concentrate on that particular problem, and of course, we all know that the two-state solution is what should fix that. Uh, and there are all these other elements involved that prevent it coming to pass. Uh, until we concentrate on that and we understand and agree that running people off their land ain't okay period and you've got to find some way to find a common ground until we concentrate on that i don't think we're getting anywhere uh one thing is i've been holding up this that that ties in with 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 what david has said and assuming this is accurate 
uh, this goes from 1917 to the present, and this shows the uh, shrinking of the Palestinian lands. Right. Just like David was uh, uh, talking about, they're down from to a absolute sliver, and and, and you know people that's, that that are talking about just the starting with the Hamas slaughter and going from 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 there are just missing the the entire context that's uh, going on, and a lot of people are. Uh, secondly, uh, uh, I think when there's hardening. Two things can happen. Uh, one is you just can't hear, you, you know, like if fighting is going on and stuff like that. I think you were talking about that, Ezra. Uh, if 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 there's fighting going on and everything, people's people are so tensed up and everything that that they're not really able to take in what what other people are saying or other possibilities. Uh, on the other hand. If it gets bad, if it gets bad enough, there can be a uh, linkage. And and like I I remember when I was at the Pentagon demonstration in twenty what whatever, um, nineteen sixty seven I guess nineteen anyway, sixty seven I think. Uh, there, there was a whole bunch of us that stayed there at the end, and down below was was a bunch of people from they were skinheads and KKK and stuff like that. And they were out there like all through the night with uh, 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 banners and stuff, and 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 partly I I felt uh, uh, we're the only ones who care. Those of us uh, up up here sitting in, and, and these people uh, down below, and I felt a uh, kinship that they actually cared, and and maybe some of that kinship can uh, uh, happen. Uh, between uh, some of the people that that, that have been so uh, so far out on uh, bo uh, both sides, um, yeah, I I think that both sides have a narrative which is different, which is in some in some ways polar opposite, and the narrative of each side depends on where you start the historical record. Do you start the historical record with the attack by Hamas or the reaction by Israel? You start the historical record with the Holocaust, where Jewish homes were displaced and Jewish people were killed in droves, or do you start it with the uh, Jews and the establishment of Israel and Palestinians being displaced and and Jews Jewish settlers presumably moving into their homes, etc. And you know. So in a sense, you can you you can make a case for either side historically and in the narratives that sways public opinion. And I think it also has something to do with whether or not a negotiation is either possible or is going to be successful, because psychologically, I think people are very and 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 countries and somebody mentioned this earlier are are, are very attuned to humiliation and shame. Yeah. And it feels shameful to lose or to say or to lose face or to um, be bested in something to have somebody else win. And so I think that I think that countries tend to not want to negotiate in, unless they're in a position of strength. And if both sides feel that way, it makes it, it makes it difficult. So there has to be some way to give something to to everybody. And and the. The, the polarization, of course, makes that very difficult. Um, 
I also just want to say for the record that I, the U.S. is so cynical in its in its foreign policy, and I don't believe for a minute that the, the U.S. is supporting Israel because we care about the Jews. We didn't care about the Jews during the the Holocaust, right. and I don't think we care about the Jews now. I think it's all about power politics and how to keep our presence in the Middle East, maybe because of oil, maybe because of uh, of of some idea of self-defense. I don't know, but it, it feels very cynical to me. Mm -hmm. Let me go to David Lillibell, and then I'll come back to you, uh, Doug. Well, I want to start by saying, uh, quoting Danny Kaye, an old Danny Kaye song, which is, this is a picture that ends in the middle for the benefit of the people who came in in the middle. Uh, remember when we used to have continuous performances of, right. of movies and uh, 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 the point about, uh, 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 Anne's point about uh, multiple narratives uh, 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 is very, very relevant. Uh, I want to say that uh, uh, it is not the case that it's the, the Jews versus the Arabs. Uh, the Jewish uh, community in Israel is incredibly fragmented. And uh, yes, there's a significant number of them who are in biblically religious or messianically religious in some ways, although it's a a uh, relatively small minority, and not all of those people are uh, hostile to peace with the Arabs. Uh, that's that's, and the same goes for the Palestinians. Uh, uh, that uh, Hamas is not uh, particularly popular, according to the most recent uh, surveys. Uh, it's uh, uh, very unpopular. Um, it has a. Uh, on the Hamas side, it has this uh, notion uh, that uh, uh, Palestine belongs to Islam, and uh, uh, if Jews are going to be there, they will have to be there as a protected minority. And on the uh, uh, right-wing side of uh, Israel, there's a, a parallel notion. I disagree with Kent that it's a question that you can superimpose the American racial uh, uh, order onto the Israeli uh, context. The assassin of uh, Rabin was a Yemenite. Uh, ben Gvir, who is the worst of the uh, uh, right wing, is a, an Iraqi. Uh, uh, walking down the street, you can't tell uh, who's who's an Arab and who's Jew. Uh, there are a lot of blonde haired, blue eyed uh, Arabs, by the way. And uh, 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 a, a lot of uh, dark-skinned Jews. Um, uh, uh, so it's uh, the way that pe people, uh, Jews who who look like they might be Arabs, uh, show who who are a very significant, but uh, uh, they were a majority until 1980, and are still a very large part of, of it. They they carry big uh, uh, Jewish stars on their chests so that you won't mistake them, but. Uh, uh, um, anyway, all of this is very complicated. It seems to me, uh, going back to what George uh, said, that there is a one-state reality. And if there could be some way of uh, creating a one-state based on democracy, then all the fragments would start 
log rolling as as politicians do, and they would uh, uh, form their different alliances and their different parties, and uh, uh, and the, it would it wouldn't be so terrible. Two languages, two or three religions. That's not a big problem compared. It, it exists in many in many countries. Uh, and, uh, antagonism, uh, political antagonism exists in many countries. You need a constitutional order that makes it possible for people to uh, uh, argue these things out in uh, with nonviolently. Uh, or at least to the violence uh, contained. Mm -hmm. What has happened now, um, starting with Hamas's uh, uh, approach, is to blow up any possibility of seeing anything like that develop in 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 the in the near future. Uh, yet that's still the only way to go. The idea that you can. Uh, destroy Hamas, which is the Israeli uh, Netanyahu position, supported by the United the United States, uh, is uh, ridiculous. You can't uh, 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 destroy Hamas without creating another Hamas. In fact, there's a good case to be made that Netanyahu had a lot to do with uh, supporting. Uh, Hamas in order to undermine the, Pal the Palestinian Authority uh, and Fatah. Uh, so uh, I, I think the, on the only thing, I don't see any good outcome, but I think the only possibility would be some international intervention through something like the United Nations uh, uh, and through, of course through a ceasefire and then trying bit by bit to create uh, uh, spaces for people to start talking together. Mm -hmm. The thing, the, the demonstration of Haifa, one of many such things, is an example of a possibility of a civil society uh, that uh, uh, argues with each other but lives together in, uh, uh, in one place. Mm -hmm. A single state is uh, uh, the only possibility for uh, the future, a, a Palestinian state would never be able to uh, uh, exist as a viable uh, thing. That may have been true back in uh, uh, 2000 or back in uh, 1979. It's not true anymore uh, for reasons that we, we've heard. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have to go uh, 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 trying somehow I hope through the United Nations, but something like the United Nations, uh, to create conditions of, uh, uh, where the, the slowly uh, uh, we can construct a uh, civil society. Hey, Doug. First of all, I'd like to thank everyone for this uh, uh, conversation. Uh, I don't know about the rest of you, but uh, I find it um, just listening to the complexities of everything uh, is extremely upsetting. Um, and, you know, it's almost like living through some sort of a, an awful event uh, yourself. Um, and anyway, what I want to say is, is I think a very small point. It's almost so small that I am a little bit hesitant to raise it, but we've, various people have talked a lot about history 
and the importance of history to everyone concerned here. Um, and I guess what I want to say is, is that what's very striking to me is that if you, I, th I think that if you took uh, a Jew and a Palestinian and had them view the same history and then asked them separately to describe what they saw, that their descriptions would differ from each other. And this came to mind, I mean, partly by, you know, the conversation, uh, uh, I think, from, from George about um, uh, dealing with uh, legal conflicts between people and how to, how to resolve that. But um, the point is also made by uh, an interesting book that um, I've read called Sacred Landscape, The Buried History of the Holy Land Since 1948. And uh, I, I, I mentioned this in some of my emails, but... Uh, he makes the point, I guess it's a he, I don't know what, I don't know people named Marone before, but anyway, um, he, he makes the point that if you, if you look at the way Arab writers, <laughs> Arab writers uh, describe a particular event in the common history between Arabs and Jews, and then you look at how um, uh, uh, Jewish writers, uh, scholars, have described the exact same historical event, the descriptions look very different. And so if we're talking about some of the complexities and the difficulties of bringing people together and having them understand each other, uh, I think it's going to be very important that everyone understand how your own personal histories and backgrounds have influenced the way in which we see, understand, and interpret some event that's out there uh, in, in, in front of everyone, and everyone is looking at it, and yet everyone, not everyone, but different groups uh, have different uh, descriptions about what's going on. Ronnie. Uh, yeah, we've been talking a lot about history. Day and everything seems to be embedded in history, but I think it's useful also to to just say, wait, there's no past, there's no future, there is only now. At least you know, but of course, if you look at that, you would look at present injustices, which may be based in history. But let's look at them now, and I think it's a useful way to think of things because then just from a common sense point of view, you would think that any solution will have to be that on either side of the line, if there's just a single line we're talking about, people will have to have decent lives. How can you have an arrangement so that people in Gaza can have a, a chance at a decent life, people in Israel have a chance at a decent life, people in the West Bank have a chance at a decent life, and that any component of that you you try to look at in that context, and, and that could be a, a, a basis. That could be pie in the sky because so many people cling to history and there's power now. And one thing that people in power want, and one thing that with people who have the assets want is to hold on to them. That is yeah. one of the most powerful sources forces in the universe. I got mine, you know, that's what counts. So, you know, you have to give up 
some of that, and this may be pie in the sky, but I think that's a, just a sensible way to look at things. Just, right. you know, you know, it, look toward a decent life for people, forget history for the moment. Okay. Bill? Yeah, I just, you can't forget history. It's a, you know, live in the now, sure, but you can't forget history. And even, and as, as Ezra was saying, the Old Testament, you know, I'm back and started reading Joshua again. You know, wipe them all out. The walls of Jericho fell down, right? What are they supposed to do? Kill every man, woman, and child in Jericho and kill all the animals. The next city they conquered, they could leave the animals alive. And there's still some number of ultra-Orthodox Jews, I'm sure, who think in those terms. I'd also like to say that there's some number of American evangelical Christians. Now, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of these right-wing evangelicals, but there are some number of those. Most of them are Trump supporters, and they want to see Israel succeed because they foresee that as necessary for the end times to come. And I look at Biden, and Biden, I think, is trying to Go easy so he doesn't alienate those people too much. In America, they're not Jews. They claim to be Christians. I don't agree with them, but there's still a significant number of them. So you can't, you know, this is embedded in history, in our psyche, and uh, you can't get away from it. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody. Ezra, do you have any words of wisdom that we should leave with, or what? Are you going to, you know, just... I, I would just suggest one thing that we could think about. Yeah. Somebody said, this business is around the seizure of land. And it's interesting to use that model to think about <laughs> the formation of Israel, 48. Which is in World War II, as everybody knows, is preparing for the 50s and 60s when all the decolonizers are going to have to come into place. So I got my freedom in Barbados in 1966. The notion of seizing land is a hostile act. And the idea that just because I use a race-based model to think about this stuff, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a profound next step to understand that it is a model that gives me facility in thinking about dehumanizing conduct and behavior and thinking about how we deal with the other. So it's just a model, the business of race. It's not a black-white thing that applies everywhere, but it is an superior, inferior model that applies everywhere. When you take my land, generally speaking, there's an unconscious aspect that has to do with what, how you think about me. And you're not thinking about me as equal to you when you seize my land. That's the point I want to leave you with. Forget the black-white thing. The black-white model is a good American model that serves a lot of people like me. It catalyzes the thinking along those levels. But I'm not talking about black-white. I'm talking about this sensation that we all think the other has no rights when we move to take his land. We can do whatever we want, and especially we can do it when it's hushed up and dressed up in a nice European American model where, where the person taking the land is well-dressed, speaks well, and so on and so forth. 
And I, refusing to see that, I think, is a part of the apology for many other countries who engage in it, and the U.S. doesn't want to accept it. But, it's, but, but the seizing of land is a violent act. And psychologically, it is appreciated like that. It's violence. So whatever solution you come up with, if, if, I on the, if I on the other side from Israel, I've got to accept X and Y and Z because it's supported by the major colonizers and leaders who have engaged in this all the time. It galls me. It galls me. Yeah, and it's a good it's a good model for understanding then that being galled, I move to violence, and I'm not a violent guy, but I'm amazed at how you can think about it easily when you feel the impact of the seizure of the land. Right, and even in free Barbados, it's still going on. So just 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 think about that. Just think about that. We will. So listen, thank you, everybody. So we'll solve this thing next week. We continue to watch a genocide in real time. And that's it for this edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard podcast. I'm Kent Garrett.